Morning, good to see you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, if you open them up at Exodus chapter 12, we're going to be in Exodus 12 and 13 today. It's a, it's a big chunk, so because I'm going to jump straight into it, let me, let me give us a little bit of context. If you're new or visiting, welcome. You catch us in the middle of a series, but don't worry, I'll, I'll bring you up to scratch. So God's people, Israel, the slaves, and the slaves to Egypt, which is uh, the most powerful nation on earth. And Egypt is ruled by this guy called Pharaoh. He was a tyrannical kind of murderous ruler. And God calls Moses and his brother Aaron, who were 80 and 83, to free his people. And he tells them he's going to show Egypt, he's going to show Israel, he's going to show the whole world that he is the Lord. So Moses, he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, this big powerful ruler who kind of believes himself to be a God, refuses. And then God, through Moses, shows his power, shows his rule over Egypt through nine signs and nine wonders. He gives this very public display that he is God. But Pharaoh is stubborn, hard-hearted, refuses to listen to us, and he will not let God's people go. In chapter 11, just before today's passage, Moses goes and gives Pharaoh a message from God. He says, if you don't let my people go, I will kill every firstborn, from the highest in the palace to the lowest in the dungeon. And there's going to be a great crying and weeping. I'm warning you. But Pharaoh, even with this threat, refuses. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much. What we are working through today is an incredible, incredible passage. Father, I pray, I pray for those here that know this passage really well, that have walked it before, that have heard it before, that have read it before, that have heard it explained before, that, Father, you would do something in our hearts to just stir up a fresh, fresh amazement at what is going on here. Father, for those that don't know it, I just pray that you would open our eyes, our minds, our ears, and our hearts to the wonder of your word here. Father, for those that don't know you this morning, and I pray that this message this morning will be a message of life and peace, an invitation to, to grace and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to make our way through chapter 12 and into chapter 13. And the first, bit I want to, the first thing I want to look at is the, the creating of a people. And it's through a set of instructions and what actually happened. So this is going to be focused on verse 1 to 13, and we'll be jumping in, in between 21 to 28 as well. But I'm going to put all the verses will be on the screen for you that I wake our way through, because we're not going to make it the first, but we'll be in a section, but the rest will be going between. So just to help us along, I've got all the verses up on the screen. So verse 1 to 2, which says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month, first month of the year for you. So what's being said here, right at the start is, God's saying, I'm doing something new. That's what he's doing. I'm doing something new. It's a new beginning. It's the first month. This is new creation language. He's saying there's a new people being formed here. Look what I'm doing. And then we get to verse 3 to 5. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
Sorry, I'm going to jump over to this. That's it, yeah. Thank you. Um, so basically, this is a specific set of instructions. Every house, every person, everyone associated with a house needs covering. Everyone needs to ask the question, am I covered? And everyone is to take a lamb or a goat which is unblemished. And what unblemished means it's, it's perfect, it's pure, it's, it's complete. And what's really interesting is that to take the lamb on the 10th, and they're to take it into the house till the 14th. So this little lamb will be in the house, will be amongst the people, will be around the family. This little lamb will be up close and personal with him, with, with the family. They would feed this lamb. They would care for the lamb. They would probably play with the lamb. They would, in a way, identify with the lamb. It almost became a part of the family. And then verse 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. It's going to be a death. You're going to kill the lamb. So what would happen is the father within the house, he would, he would take the lamb, he would keep it still, he would hold it up, he would pull the head back to the side, and he would slit the lamb's throat. It's graphic. It is gruesome. It is up close, and it is personal as an experience for this family. But then the blood of the lamb has a purpose, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. You see, the blood itself has a purpose. In verse 22, which is up on the screen as well, Moses takes, tells them to take a, a hyssop. That's like a, 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 veg, a, a plant which has like little branches on it, so you could use it like a paintbrush. And they're to put the blood on the lintel across the top above the door. And they're to put the blood on the two posts at the sides. You've got it on the top and the two posts. The blood is to cover the house. Verse 8. They shall eat that, the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. They're to eat. They're to consume it all. As a meal together, the bitter herbs, I think, are to do with the reminder of how, how they were rescued from bitter slavery in Egypt. In verse 21, a little bit further, further on, Moses actually said, he said, you're not to go out. You're not to go out. You're to stay under the protection of the blood. It is dangerous not to be under the protection of the blood. And the manner that they eat it, it showed the manner of their leaving. They were to eat it in haste. The bread was to be unleavened. Leaven takes time. Verse 11, it says, says this, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Even what they were wearing was described in the manner of their leaving. The belt to be fastened, the sandals on the staff, they were ready to go. They were a people on the, on the move. They were a, a, a people ready to move forward with God. And then verse 12 to 13, we get the reason. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
Remember what we've been saying since the beginning. God is revealing himself as God. He's revealing himself over and above all of these so-called Egyptian gods. And God is revealing himself as he moves forward in judgments. And the judgment is a judgment of death because of sin. He's going to send the destroyer, is what it says in verse 23, to kill all the firstborn, young and old, at every stage of life. I think we miss that every stage of life, man and beast. It's really interesting, really interesting as we read this, that up to this point, the Israelites were just assuming a protection because of what God had done and what God had said. So, so in one sense, the previous signs and wonders, those previous plagues that God had done, God had actually, God's people had looked on. They'd observed from the safety of Goshen where they lived. They'd kind of been watching it almost from afar. And there seems to be this distinction between them and Egypt. But now we get to this 10th plague and they too need protecting. This 10th plague is a judgment against all of humanity. See what God is saying as we move through this account, he's saying, you are my people. I will redeem you. I will be with you. But the biggest problem that you have is your sin and my righteous anger at your sin. I am coming to right all wrongs. And that means I'm coming in judgment. You need saving from me and you need saving from my judgment. And the punishment, the judgment for sin is death. But I've provided a way. There will be another death in your place. I won't take your firstborn. This perfect unblemished lamb will be your representative, will stand in your place. And that's what he's saying in verse 13. He says, look, I'm giving you a sign. I'm giving you a sign. And the sign's the blood. It must have been really scary for them to put yourself in that position of the families and the people in the houses that night to hear the commotion, to know what was going on, to be cowering inside in a sense, which is the right response, because this is brutal. But God in his grace gives them a sign. It's the blood. It's the blood. Let the blood be a sign for you. You are protected by the blood of the lamb. Look to the blood of the lamb. Look to the blood of the lamb. See the sacrifice. See the substitute in your place. Have assurance you're safe under the blood. And it's a sign for God that you are covered by the blood. You're covered. There's been justice. God will pass over you because you're covered by the blood. And these are all the instructions. And then what happens is in verse 29 to 42, we actually get the events. And what it starts off with in verse 26 to 27 to 28, Moses tells us that the people, they, that they listen to Moses and they, they respond. They bow down, they worship and they obey. They do what he tells them to do. And what becomes clear is that the people are saved by grace through faith here. God in his grace provides a substitute in their, their place. And they by faith are to trust the blood of the sacrificed lamb. If they didn't do it, they weren't covered. They would have died. And then it happens. We get the description of it. A fixed moment, a fixed place in time, in history when God judges. God moves towards them in judgment. Verse 29 to 30. And all people from Pharaoh's firstborn, who was born to be a God, so they thought, to the slave. All people, Egyptians, foreigners, Israelites, all tribes, all classes will be judged before God and were judged before God. And Pharaoh in the night rose up along with all of Egypt 
And there was a great cry. They were seeing firsthand, right before them, the horror, the horror of the consequences of their sins and the judgment of God upon humanity. Pharaoh responds, verse 31, 32, he tells them to go. He says, Israel can go. Go, serve your God. Take the flocks. Take the animals. Go, but bless me. This is not repentance that he's doing. It is just a desperate cry out. Bless me, please. You see later on, it's nowhere near repentance. And what do the rest of the Egyptians do in verse 30? Well, they respond too. They're like, they want them out as quick as possible because of what's going on all around them. They're horrified. They didn't want anything else to, to happen. And so they gave them silver. They gave them gold. They gave them clothing. And it's here we see what God had predicted all along, that the Israelites would plunder the Egyptians. And they left quickly in haste. The bread wasn't even leavened, we read carrying the plunder and any other possessions that they would have built up over their the many years there. Passage tells us there were 600,000 men, which most think, there's a difference of opinion on this, but most think will have possibly run into the millions with all of the other people included. And it was a mixed multitude. It wasn't just Israel. There were other nations here. There was Egyptians that would have come along, maybe friends and, and neighbors, maybe fellow workers or fellow slaves, people that they would have been talking to, had connections with maybe traded with, built relationships with. There was a mixed multitude that went out. Those who feared God went with them. For 430 years after entering Egypt, the Lord leads his people out. And the account of what happened closes in verse 30, 42. But it says this. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt so the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. God watched over his people, his firstborn. In tenderness, intimacy, care, protection, provision. He was in this every single step of every single moment. But then we get a remembering which is the shaping of a people. She woven into the tapestry of this incredible event. And nearly 40 verses of other commands. Commands to remember. Commands for this generation, but also for future generations. Just read them together. Verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it. Verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout all your generations as a statue. Verse 24. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. 13.3. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt. Out of the house of slavery, but for by a strong Lord, the, Lord, the hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Do you see the links all the way through this? God is telling his people to remember. He's at great pains to tell them, remember. They are to remember this day. And not just to remember it, he tells them how to remember. They're to reenact it and pass on this reenactment. They are to hold this in their minds and they are to do things that prompt their minds to go to this place. And God places a huge amount of importance on this. 
because this is who they are as a people. This is how they were formed. It's their identity as the children of God, as the people of God. They are to make sense in light of God, in light of his words, in light of his promises, in light of what he has done, in light of what he is doing, and in light of what he is to do. And we see him develop this as he talks to his people. Chapter 12, verse 26 says this. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Chapter 3, verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day. Chapter 3, verse 14. And when the time comes, when, the t- when in the time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. This is not just to be remembered and reenacted. This is actually to be retold. That's what they're saying, retell it, but retell it properly. When your son comes to you, you're inviting that question because you're doing it in front of your family. The generations are going to know this and you're going to actually re-narrate it. Tell this story properly. Remember who you are. Remember who I am. Remember how we got here. Remember what it took for you guys to be free. Remember. So what is it that they're called to remember? How do they do it? Just a few points. First of all, they are to have a feast together. A feast together. That's what it's called here. The feast of Passover, which continues into the feast of unleavened bread. And they're to have this, this, fe- this feast, this celebration, this meal, this food, this drink, as a people, as a community, as a family, and an extended family together. In 1214, it's described as a feast to the Lord. That's interesting language. That means that the Lord is present with his people in and through this. In chapter 12, 16, it's called a, a holy assembly. And they're to do it on the first and the seventh day. What that means is they're to gather as a whole people. A big gathering. Gather together of a holy assembly. They're to be shaped. Not as individual units. They're to be shaped as a people. A people together. To do no work on these days. Because it's God who does this work. And they're to reenact the sacrifice. Future generations, all through the ages, were to do this. And it was to be done in the house, in close proximity with all involved. The point being that everyone would need that covering. So from the 10th day to the 14th day of the feast here, you would see that the lamb would be in the house with them. You can kind of almost imagine, can't you, the firstborn child asking, seeing the lamb and saying, what's going on? That's the, the point here. That answering, we do this because this is how God spared us. God spared us this way. This is how we have freedom, son. This is how we have freedom, child. This is what it took. And so they would kill the lamb. They would hold the head up, the head back, and they would slit the throat. And they would put the blood on the doorpost. They would be reminded in this gruesome, graphic way every, every year. The key to their relationship with God is dealing with the judgment for sin, which was death. Death had to be dealt with. The judgment for sin had to be dealt with. God is teaching them and future generations about his grace in freeing his people. But he's also showing them about his provision of a lamb. That he provided the sacrifice for their deepest, deepest need, which was their slavery to sin. And during this time, they were to eat. They were to eat the lamb. They were to eat the unleavened bread. So the lamb would have reminded them about what God did, how he freed them. And it was, it was tangible. It would have involved the senses. In the account here, you actually read of, of body parts, so hand, eye, mouth. They're all mentioned. 
They're all mentioned about the, you know, the touching and the, the movement of it to, to use it, to remember. And then they're to ingest it. There's this kind of ingesting of the grace of God and understanding that this grace is part of you. It's not an abstract concept, but we are, we are with God. We are in God. God is in us. But also they were to remember by eating the unleavened bread for seven days, reminding again of how quickly they left, reminding them again that that wasn't their home. But I think as well, there's a deeper issue, which I just want to leave hanging for a second. You see, there's something about leaven in the Old Testament that it needs removing from the community. So they couldn't have leaven at all in the house. So to this day, Jewish families would still sweep the house clean of leaven. And it says in the passage that if they had leaven, they'd be cut off. Chapter 12, 15. They won't be able to join in the feast. God is saying that you can't be disobedient and take my blessing. This can't be taken in an unworthy manner. And we're told that they were to consecrate their firstborn, chapter 13, verse 1 to 2, which says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. See, the firstborn is key. The firstborn is representative of the rest of the family. Like a first fruit, it's representative of the rest who stood in the place of the family. So an animal, firstborn animal, would be sacrificed. Apart from, we read, really interesting, chapter 13, verse 10, if you want to take a look for yourself. Apart from a donkey. And a donkey is an unclean animal. They, they, they would be unclean, so they would need redeeming with a lamb. But then humans are mentioned in the same verse, the same way, because we are unclean because of our sin. So we too would need, would need redeeming. It's a constant reminder that we need to be redeemed because of our sin. Reminder of the judgment of death. Reminder of the substitute in our place. Verse 14, it says again, tell your son, tell your son this because of how God brought us out of slavery in Egypt. What's being said here is that Israel were a people chosen by God. Israel were a people adopted by God, and they were formed by God through this amazing Exodus experience. They were saved by God, from God, to live for God. And God in his grace continues to form them, to remind them by saying, this is who you are. You need to remember this. There's going to be so many competing stories and narratives that are going to want to tear you away from this and tell you about a different story of the world. It's, it's false. They're going to try to reshape you. They're going to try to reform you. They're going to try to distort you. They're going to try to distort my word. But I give you these feasts to help you, to keep you, to grow you, to nourish you, to sustain you. You're my people. I'm your God. Remember that by remembering this. What an amazing story. I encourage you, please, this week, Read it slowly yourself. There's so much going on here. And we can just effectively skim across the surface because this is of infinite depth and value. Please read it. But I just want to pull out three things as we move towards this feast that God has given us. First of all, we are covered. It's the first thing we want to get from this, that we are covered. What do I mean by that? Ever since the very first situation in the garden of Eden, ever since the start of history humanity has been under the judgment of God since that very first sin and what's really interesting when you actually look at what was said there part of the devil's lie in the garden was this did God really say that you will not surely die that's really interesting because part of the the devil's first lie is to cast a doubt on the judgment of God do you see that to cast a doubt on the judgment of God. To make us think about it twice. 
But the Bible is clear, all have sinned, me, you, all of us, every person that's ever lived apart from one, have fallen short of the glory of God. And we are under the judgment of God for our sin. And that judgment, folks, is death. Our sin requires punishment by death. That has been clear right from the start. But God in his grace provides a substitute for our sin. See, folks, that has been clear from the start as well. This is a biblical theme here. God provides a substitute sacrifice for his people. It's all through the Bible from start to finish. First of all, we read about one lamb for one person, Abraham and, and Isaac. Then we read about a lamb for a household, the Passover here. It gets bigger. Next, we read about a lamb for a nation in the atonement. God is providing a lamb for his people, all pointing to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ came in the fullness of time, as we heard before, stepped into the world. John 1.29, John the Baptist said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see that? God is sending his substitutionary, substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. This all anticipated Jesus. Jesus fulfills all that we are reading here. The day that Jesus Christ makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you read about it in the Gospels, is the very day that those Passover lambs were all being driven in by the shepherds into the city, thousands upon thousands of them. Jesus Christ crucified late afternoon on the eve of the Passover, at twilight, when the lambs will be sacrificed in every household. And so in that same feast of that week, the father would have been holding the lamb, would have slit the throat of that lamb, the blood would have poured out, and he would have said, God provided a lamb for us. In the same way, in that same week, when the high priest presents the lamb as the atonement for the sins of Israel, and in those same moments, in the same place, Jesus Christ, God's son, the Passover lamb, hangs on a cross. His sacrificial blood flowing from his hands, flowing from his sides, flowing from his feet. That is a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Perfect, unblemished Jesus Christ. His perfect life in our place. His substitutionary death switched out for us in our place. He died so that we could live. He appeased the, rang, the anger, the, the wrath of God, just wrath, just anger of God at our sin. And our sin is wiped away. No punishment. No punishment. No punishment. Wrath averted because it's been taken by Jesus. And so the God who was against us, that is our biggest problem, folks. We cannot be in right relationship with God because of our sin. He must punish rightfully, righteously so. And the God who was against us because of our sin now, because he made a way in the Lord Jesus Christ, looks on us and sees his perfect son and he is favorable towards us. Bible tells us that he remembers our sins no more as far as the east is from the west. And the question that hangs over this today and hangs over this place today that I have to ask folks, and I really need you to hear this, are you covered are you covered? Are you covered? Because if you don't trust the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not covered. 
You're exposed before God. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever thought, everything that you've ever said, wrongly desires, wrong desires that you've had will be judged. You will be held to account for all of those things by a holy, righteous God. The only out of that, folks, is in and through, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. This is a free offer of grace. It's a free offer of life in place of death. He provides the substitute for you. If you trust him, it's done. Are you covered? If you're a believer here today, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, be assured. Be assured of your covering. There is assurance that pours out from this passage into our hearts. Let that blood be a sign for you. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The payment has been made. Be assured because of the blood. That means your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So the punishment that you deserve, God put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to punish yourself anymore. You don't have to carry the guilt anymore. It's gone. He's dealt with it. It's no anger. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. There is no shame. In its place is life. You're free. He calls you child. And when you struggle to believe that, because we all do, he says, look to the blood. You don't know how much I love you. Look to the blood. Be assured. Experience full assurance. Second of all, we are formed. So many things, folks, form us and shape us. We are naive if we don't think that we are being formed every single day, all the time. We're watching a, a show about an American football town called Friday Night Lights at the moment um, with one of our, our oldest daughter. And it's a really interesting show because it's about Friday night and a football game that happens on a Friday night. It's a little Texas town. And the game happens on a Friday night. And what happens is these guys are heroes. It's a totally different culture. They're heroes. And this whole week is being moved towards Friday. Everything about the town is geared towards this Friday. Everything. The celebrations, the, the, the festivals they hold, the way they engage with one another. And depending upon how that game goes, depends upon how the next week goes. And it just pulls one to another to another. This whole town determines the lives of these young men. Determines the lives of the people of the town. If they win, the heroes. If they lose, they're not. And it just governs their identity. It governs how they function. Situations, circumstances, they, 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 they shape us. We don't realize how much they shape us. Think through how we even process the wars that are going on. Think about how different countries process it. Think about how different countries report it. Think about how we struggle with the way that other people would accept things said and done in a certain way, and yet they're also struggling with the way that we accept things done in a certain way. We are shaped at this moment in time with the people we're amongst. Think about social media. It's constantly changing us, folks, constantly shaping us. I read this week that uh, outside of school, sometimes, I'm not sure if it was outside of school or in, inside of school, but it said the teen girls can spend nine hours a day on social media. Nine hours. Shaping them, forming them. This is who you are. This is who you should be. This is what meaning is. This is what purpose is. This is what the future looks like for you. This is what success and happiness looks like. And we all experience it. That's not just teenage girls. That's all of us. For all honest, we're all on it too much. 
Think about the state of anxiety that everyone's struggling with. Why? Because I can open my phone and get a moment-by-moment report of a war that's happening thousands of miles away, and I will. But God gives us the means to be shaped and to be remembered by Him. He moves towards us in our week. And we're to move towards this in our week. He gives us it every time that we gather a feast, a celebration in communion. So just let, let's just look a little deeper at the, the depth and context of what is going here. on here. You see the Last Supper that we all know was actually the Passover feast, Matthew 26. And when Jesus is talking about the Passover feast, this is what he says when he's sharing it with his disciples, this Passover feast. He says this, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood. We recognize those verses, but he's talking about the Passover and he's putting the Passover onto communion now. And what he's saying is this feast and everything that it covers, it's actually about me. It's about what I've done for you. And then he gives us a feast to remember. See, in Luke's account of the Last Supper, Jesus breaks the bread. He pours the wine. In in chapter 22, verse 19, he says this, do this in remembrance of me. Do you see those echoes of the Passover that are coming out there? Do this in remembrance of me. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is Paul speaking, he says this, verse 23 to 26, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you see this? Do this in remembrance of me. Passover is filled out, fulfilled in communion. And so we do it together. This whole assembly of God's people here. It's family gathering. We do it around a feast. So, so we eat together. We, we drink together. We remember what Jesus has done together. We ingest it. So we take it with our hands and we taste it with our, our mouths and we experience it flowing down our, our throat into our bodies. Why? Because the grace of God is part of us. God himself lives within us by his spirit. We receive the blessings of God within us. They are ours. The blessings, all of the blessings that flow from the Lord Jesus Christ, life, death, resurrection, and ascension. They're ours. We live in him. As we take it, we're nourished. We're strengthened by this feast, both physically and spiritually, together as a community, every time that we meet. That's why we do it, folks. Every time we meet, we take this. It's not an add-on. It's not a separate part of the service. It is part of the gathering of God's people to feast on the goodness of God together. We are shaped by, we are formed by, we live by, the presence of God, the power of God himself amongst his people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are here amongst us. Children of God taking this feast to the Lord. And lastly, we are holy. See, unleavened bread was a symbol of, of holiness. It was a symbol of purity. It was made of pure wheat. It would have been untouched by, by leaven, which we sometimes call yeast. It was a reminder to keep away from sin, to keep away from evils, to keep away from idols, to keep away from the ways of Egypt that they've been taken from. And what leaven does, leaven actually grows, it spreads by decay, and it works its way through the dough. And sin too works the same way. Sin works its corrupting influence through a person's life. 
You see, when the, the, the New Testament comments on something from the Old Testament, often, folks, it's the key to understanding what's going on. It helps us to understand what's happening. So Jesus says this in Luke 12, 1. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a bad thing. It's a sin, is what he's saying here. It's described as leaven. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says this, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Do you see what he's doing here? What is being said is as believers, we have new life. We're new creations. We have a new beginning. New creations in Christ. Remember 12, chapter 1? Sorry, chapter 12, verse 1? A new beginning. The power of sin is gone. Our new life is one of, of holiness, of seeking to walk rightly before God. So we desire and we pursue holiness. That old life is, is represented by leaven, the sins of hatred and malice and envy and hypocrisy, all of those things. So the question becomes, because we're about to take this, we're about to hold this in our hands, and the question I have for you guys is, what are the sins you're struggling with? What are the sins that maybe you're holding on to? Maybe the sins you're seeking to justify. Are the sins that are actually extending their influence through you into your mind, into your heart, and actually out to others. Can I remind you again, from God's word, you are a child of God. That is not you. And we're to flee from these things. They're corrupting, they're destructive to you and others. They, they isolate us. So the influence of sin is isolating. It separates us out from God and his people. And that's not you anymore. They belong to your old life. Leave it behind. So as a community, what we do here, what we do here is we take communion. We repent, that is, to turn away from those things towards God and we confess them. And that confession, folks, confession is not for God primarily. We need, we need to hear this. Confession is for us. Confession is liberating it's a gift and grace of God because he's already freed us from it. He's like, let me take that chain back off. You don't need that. It's a grace of God. Move from them. And if you're struggling, ask God to help. Literally, as you hold this bread and this wine, ask God to help. The same God who came and lived and died for you. Ask him to help. He's the God who liberates and frees and empowers. as part of his character. That's what we're reading. And as we do it, let us as a church and let you guys, as you take this, narrate this properly in your head. He knows, he cares, he acts. The God of grace has provided a substitute. If you believe, you are covered. You are forgiven, you are restored, and you are redeemed. So let's together bow down, worship, and respond. So what's gonna happen in a second? Some of the, the connection teams, they're gonna come forward, and this bread and this wine is gonna go round. I'm not gonna go over everything that I've just said, but I would like you to reflect on what's gone on, this passage. Take the time. Don't rush through it. Don't take this bread and just quickly swallow it and move on and just get ready for the singing. That's not what I want you to do here. But take this bread and be reminded. Be reminded of, of what Jesus has done for you, how much he loves you, the extent to which he went for you. Be reminded that your sins are forgiven. Ask him for help to actually truly believe that your sins are forgiven and gone. Ask for help in walking through those sins if there's something that you're struggling with. Ask, ask, and ask. Come before him. And when you're ready, and when you've taken that time with God, take the bread. 
If you want to pray together, please pray together. If you want to pray on your own, that's fine too. The guys will play some music as we're doing this. But I'd like you to keep hold of your cup. Keep hold of it. And then the guys will draw us to a close and Bonnie will lead us through drinking that together as a family, as a celebration, as a feast. Together, brothers and sisters, united by that same blood, drinking together, thanking him for what he has done, praising him for his presence amongst us now and looking ahead to that day when he will come back in victory. If you don't believe here, folks, we ask that you would let this pass. Please, we'd love to speak with you at the end of the service and pray with you. But the Bible says this is for believers, so please let this pass. And we pray as the guys come in, if you can start giving that out. Thank you. Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Father, it's passages like this whereby we realize what you have done for us, the extent to which you went for us. Father, we can struggle to believe these things even as we hold the evidences, even as we hold the reminders, even as we see the reminders all around us, we can struggle to believe. So Father, help us. Help us as we take this to be reminded that we are forgiven. Help us as we take this to be reminded that we are restored and redeemed. Help us to, to believe as we take this that we don't have to give in to sin this week, that we don't have to give in to sin tomorrow, that we don't have to give in to sin today, that we don't have to be bowed down and weighed under the guilt that just seems to knock us down and move us back towards the same sin that we're carrying the guilt for, that that sin is being paid for, the guilt is gone, and you give us the power to walk through that. Father, help us. Father, I pray this time would not be a time of feeling low or feeling heavy, but Father, this would be a time of feeling liberated. You're the people who frees and liberates people. So Father, help us to experience that true freedom now as we take this. A joy in our heart, a lightness in our heart that just wants to respond in singing and praying like the people we read about in this account. They bow down, they worship. Father, make us a people who bow down and worship with joy in our hearts, knowing the guilt has gone, the sin has gone, and the shame has gone. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are here amongst us. Be glorified, we ask. Amen.